G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Welcome to Leaving the Way. In a moment, Dr. Yusuf takes you to the pages of Psalm 2, where you'll quickly see that the dysfunction and self-destruction in our world isn't a surprise to God. In fact, years before the Messiah was tenderly placed in a manger, God the Father saw the turmoil and chaos of 2020, joyfully anticipating the grace and peace Jesus would bring. Psalm 2 is what's called the Messianic Psalm, words speaking of the salvation to come through Jesus. Join me in listening to the powerful words from God's Word given context by our teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef, on Leading the Way. The amazing thing about this psalm is that it divides itself into four segments. And it's very clear. As we go through it, you will see it with clarity. Four segments. The first segment, you see it in verses 1 to 3, And it's about man's defiance of God. I call it angry defiance. Then in verses 4 to 6, you see the Father's astounding derision toward that defiance. And then thirdly, you see it in verses 7 to 9, you see the Son, absolute dominion. And then finally, verses 10 to 12, you see the Holy Spirit's ability to deliver. Now, here's the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity is in this psalm, and I hope you are going to remember angry defiance, astounding derision, absolute dominion, and able deliverance. Man's angry defiance. The psalm asks, why? Why the nations rage? Why do they plot and conspire. Why do you conspire against the Lord? Why the whole world in as a state of outrage? Why is this? You don't have to watch television for any length of time without asking that question. Why is the world in turmoil? Why is that anger? Why uh, whole organizations and movements are founded for the purpose of resisting biblical morality? Why are so many lobbying groups or lobbying organizations are founded for the sole purpose of promoting immorality and abomination, promoting rebellion, promoting the obliterating of God's absolutes? Why? Why so many groups are demanding that we worship the creation instead of the Creator? Why do they seek to disintegrate righteousness from the nation. Why? Why do the whole nations hate God? Why do they hate His Son? Why do they hate His children and the followers of His Son, who they get persecuted and tortured and even put to death? Well, the answer is found here in Psalm 2. 
these groups and nations who hate God, and they hate God's anointed Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, they express their hatred toward Him. They express their hatred toward the Messiah by taking it out on His children, taking it out on His followers. But why? Here it comes. Because they believe that God's moral absolutes is like a chain around their necks, that they want to try to remove it because it's stopping them from promoting their perversion. So they try to get rid of it. But sadly for those of us who love Jesus, those of us who love God, sadly for us, we long for them to come and know how loving God is. We long for them to come and know how good God is. We long for them to come and know how beautiful and enlightening His absolutes are. We long for them to come to know His Son who loved them and died on a cross for their sins. But instead of gratitude to God for common graces, because the Bible said the sun shines for the righteous and the unrighteousness. And if you look at material blessings in this country, the material blessings is coming on the righteous and the unrighteous. Instead of being grateful to God, they're angry. They rebel against God. They revolt against His love, and they reject His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.25 says, they knew the truth, but they preferred to believe a lie, for they exchanged the truth of the Word of God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the Creator. This rage and this outrage is going to reach its climax the closer we come to the return of Christ. It may have been in certain parts of the world. Now it's all over the world. And it's going to grow in intensity the closer we get to the return of Christ. Are you surprised? Are you surprised? Here is the fallacy that so many people really bought into. It's very sad. They convince themselves that they can live in freedom without submitting to God. Beloved, imagine any country, including ours, that the powers to be decided that they're going to suspend all laws. No laws. <laughs> Even for a day. So they're going to suspend it in favor of total freedom. You would say, Michael, that would be hell on earth. And you'd be exactly right. <laughs> what God haters do not realize is that freedom without authority is anarchy. And that authority without freedom is slavery. And that is why the Bible is very clear that true freedom, true liberty, is found when we live under the authority of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Secondly, you find here in this psalm, the second section, is the Father's astounding derision over their defiance. Derision. Now, some people, church people, don't want to think of God as having a derision. They really don't, because they want to think of Him as Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. You know, it's kind of, yeah, He's benign, you know, kind of God, toothless, 
powerless, milquetoast God who just should give them everything they ask for. And if they don't get it, they get angry with Him. Beloved, this is a totally false view of God. To be sure, God's love is expressed in His grace, not in His weakness. God's love is expressed in His benevolence, not in His powerlessness and helplessness. But when God's haters—I call them God's haters—defy God, what does God do? What does God do? The Bible said—I'm not making this stuff up, okay—the Bible said that He laughs. He laughs. Here it is, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Why? (laughs) Because God is the God of power and might. Because God exercises His authority over the universe, whether they like it or not. Because God rules the universe, whether they acknowledge it or not. Because God controls every event in history, whether they believe it or not, because God is not sitting in heaven drinking Mylanta or antacid and saying, I have a heartburn. I don't know what to do with these foolish people. Who would It's not wringing His hands. Who what I'm going to do? They're rejecting me. No, 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 no. The Bible said He laughs. He laughs at them. But, beloved, listen carefully, because this is very important. This is not a pleasant laughter. It's not a joyful laughter. Now, I like to laugh as much as anybody, okay? This is a laughter of derision. <laughs> you think that you can get rid of me and my absolutes? You might as well reach for the sky and pull the stars down. <laughs> you think that they can remove me from my throne? They might as well tell the sun not to shine. If they think that they can reinvent me (laughs) to be made in their own image and their own likeness, might as well ask them to control the rain and the storm and the floods. They might as well be able to gather the oceans in a bucket. Rots of rock. (laughs) Listen, I know that, and you know that no illustration is ever perfect, but imagine a mouse defying a lion, (laughs) and you get the idea. Get close to it. (laughs) Look at verse 5. Then he rebuked them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill. (laughs) You see, man's angry defiance to God, the Father's astounding derision over their defiance, and thirdly, the Son's absolute dominion, verses 7 to 9. Absolute dominion. The Son of God was prophesied about, of course, starts all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and throughout the Old Testament pages. And that's why these people who say, you know, ditch the Old Testament, that is foolishness. Because every page of the Old Testament prophesied of Jesus. And here, a thousand years before His incarnation— Here, a thousand years before the first Christmas and the pre-incarnate Christ, he says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I become your father. 
Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter, and dash them to pieces like pottery. Now, beloved, listen to me. You know and I know. Today, the name of Jesus is a free-for-all, free-for-all to abuse, to defame, to deface, to belittle, free-for-all to outlaw from the land and to outlaw from public life and reject and despise Him. Yet thousand years before Christ was born, God said of His Son, He is my anointed one for everyone's salvation. Not for some, everyone. He is the only choice, my choice, for forgiveness of sins. He is your only way to me. He's your only way to my heaven. He's your only way who will judge every human being. Why? Because the whole earth belongs to Him. He bought the earth by His blood was shed on Calvary. He paid for it with His blood. He took ownership of the earth from Satan, which was lost to Satan by Adam when he blew it, because God initially handed those earth deeds to Adam. And when Adam rebelled against God and disobeyed God, he inadvertently handed the deeds to Satan. But now Jesus owns it. Now, when you listen to those dear people, these God-haters, I call them, you know, you would think that they're the ones who own the earth. You know, to me, they sound like a bunch of property renters. This is a group of renters in a building, and because they have not seen the property owner with their eyes, haven't seen him, they begin to convince themselves, delude themselves into thinking, well, he doesn't exist. We are the owners. (laughs) We own this. They own the property. They don't need to pay rent. (laughs) That goes on until the real owner, the true owner, shows up. (laughs) And the sparks fly. Except it's not sparks. It's going to be the fire of hell. What a surprise and a shock they are in. I have news for you. Jesus owns the earth. Jesus owns everything on the earth. Jesus owns everyone on the earth. And one day, sooner or later, I think it's more sooner than later, at least that's my personal opinion, He's going to show up. (laughs) What a glorious day that's going to be. And those who have rejected Him will weep. Those who have received Him will rejoice will rejoice, exceedingly glad. Those who have rejected Him, they'll be in a terrible state of terror and fear. Beloved, it is the will of the Father for the Son to inherit the earth. It is the will of the Father. So let me ask you a question. Do you think Satan knows that? Because he knows the Old Testament. He knows the Bible. The Bible said, here's the thing, Now we have people rejecting the Bible. The Bible said Satan actually believed the Scripture, and he trembles. (laughs) That's a lot more than some church folks. They don't tremble. Satan does. Why else do you think that in the wilderness 
Satan tried to offer Jesus a shortcut. A shortcut. He said, I'll give you this earth. I'll give it to you. You know that I took it from Adam. I give it to you, but I'm going to give you a shortcut. Why don't you take it now? Just bow to me. Just bow to me. I'll give it to you. I think if Jesus spoke in English, he would have said to Satan, Buzz off, Satan. <laughs> Buzz off. <laughs> no shortcuts. It's mine. The earth is mine. The earth deeds belong to me, which you took from Adam when he blew it in the garden. But I'm going to take it back by shedding my blood on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to take it back by my full obedience to the plan of the Father. Oh, my beloved friends, listen to me. Satan is making the same offer today to millions of people around the world. He is. He's offering shortcuts. He's offering daily, daily shortcuts. Why? To make them avoid responding to the love of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do that. You're a good person. You haven't really committed all the big sins. You're a fine person. You, you did okay. It's not really your fault. It's your family's fault. It's your parents' fault. It's your environment fault. It's everything. So don't worry about it. God is going to let everybody in. In the end, millions of shortcuts. He's offering to everyone, everyone, everyone. But the Father said, the Father said, Ask me, and I will make the nations to be your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. And he did, on the cross. I don't mind telling you that this verse causes me spending every waking moment, every one of my waking moments, thinking, planning, working on how to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. That motivates me. I'm personally convinced that while, yes, every generation's past, they always lived with the expectations of the return of Christ. I know that. I read history. There's some even foolish people who basically gave up everything, put white robes, and went to the mountains waiting for Jesus. Now, that's foolishness because Jesus said, occupy till I come. Work hard until I come, so that when He comes, He's going to find me working hard. Ain't no white robes for me in the mountains. No, sir. I'm going to be in the thick of it. But I know also what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He talks about the birth of a baby. Well, the first eight months, you know, there was just no big deal. Occasional pain. But then comes toward the end, as the baby being born. And Jesus said, you know, because there always have been wars and rumors of wars, always been earthquakes, always have been these things. He said, ah, oh, but when the labor pangs become close intervals, you better get ready to go to the hospital. <laughs> when they're getting close, seeing them every day, it's a daily occurrence. You know that the baby is getting ready to be born. I don't know about you. That excites me. <laughs> that makes me lift up my head and look for my day of redemption. The baby is about to be born. Jesus on the way back. Jesus is coming soon. And may we 
wake up in time and have oil in our lamps so we can be ready. Finally, the Holy Spirit's able deliverance. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He's equal with the Father and the Son. There is no inequality. And that's why these people want to fight over, you know, husband, wife, and I said, it's just like in the Trinity. There's equality. The husband and wife are equal in the sight of God. They're equal in every way. They just fulfill different roles. And the same thing in the Trinity. The Father fulfills certain roles. The Son fulfills certain roles. The Holy Spirit fulfills certain roles. And His task is to call people and say to them, turn to the Son. He's forever calling people, believe in the Son. Turn to the Son so that the Father may accept you. Turn to the Son so that the Father may receive you. Turn to the Son so that the Father may bless you. Look at verses 10 to 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you destroyed in your way. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all. How many? Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Have you taken refuge in Him? If you haven't, you can today. Now, beloved, God the Holy Spirit takes no pleasure in sending people to judgment. The Holy Spirit of God longs for men and women, boys and girls, to come and turn to God the Son. That's His greatest joy. God the Holy Spirit would rather save people than condemn them into a Christless eternity. Verse 12 can read just as well, in fact, more accurately, kiss the Son lest the Father be angry. Kiss the Son lest the Father be angry. In fact, here the Holy Spirit makes three appeals, three appeals. First, He appeals to the mind, be wise. Then He appeals to the will, serve the Lord with fear. And thirdly, He appeals to the heart, kiss the Son, kiss the Son, kiss the Son, give up your pride. Give up your pride lest you perish. Give up your indifference before it's too late. Kiss the Son, for after all, He kissed you when He hung on that cross. Beloved, today, God's Holy Spirit speaks with grace and speaks in grace. But on the final day, He will speak in wrath or wrath, as they say in England. Don't judge things by their temporary appearance. Today, you can elevate your vision to see beyond this veil and begin to live with eternity in mind. I promise you, it will make your life not just meaningful, but extremely meaningful. 
You're listening to Leading the Way and a reminder from Dr. Yusuf about the Messiah's deliverance this season. And by the way, if during the Christmas season you find yourself yearning to understand more about Christ and Christmas, consider having a faith conversation with a Leading the Way team member. Grab your mobile device or computer and visit ltw.org Jesus. Fill out a short form to connect with a compassionate staff member. ltw.org Jesus. Well, as this Christmas week unfolds, please consider the many spiritual resources you can get for free through the Leading the Way store at ltw.org or by calling 1-300-133-589. And since Christmas is on all of our minds, we thought you might enjoy listening to some of the powerful Christmas music from Dr. Yusuf's church, the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta. Sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. You can connect to Leading the Way via TV, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and all of our social media networks. Learn more at ltw.org. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.